This is Ed Cashmark, the everyday economist, keeping my eye on the economy every day for you, with no bluster, no bias, no bull. June 10, 2020. Just a couple of economic releases today. Mortgage applications for the prior week were down 3.9%, but for the most recent week were up 9.3%. The purchase index was up 5% the prior week, and the most recent week up 5%. And the refinance index was down 9% the prior week, but up 11% the most recent week, which is uh, the week ending June 5. And taking a look at mortgage rates, mortgage rates uh, were really on the upswing over the last few days, all the way up to 3.24% on June 5. Um, And that might have uh, caused some people to uh, want to lock in a low rate before they started or before they went even higher. So uh, we might have seen that, but now here as of this week, we've gone from 3.24% on June 5 all the way back down to 3.05% today. So it was a, it was a, a quick upswing, but it was brief. Now we're on the back down, downswing again. So a lot of volatility in the mortgage market right now. The big report for today was the CPI, Consumer Price Index, for May. For April, uh, prices were down 0.8% month over month. Forecast for May was no change. Actual was a 0.1% decline. Year over year, prices were up 0.3% in April. Forecast for May was 0.2%. Actual was 0.1% increase, so slightly less than expected. Uh, For both the month-over-month change and the year-over-year change. CPI, less food and energy, month-over-month change in April was 0.4, minus 0.4%. Forecast for May was 0.1% increase. Actual was a 0.1% decrease, so less than expected. And the year-over-year change for the core rate was 1.4% in April. Forecast for May was 1.3%, and actual was 1.2%, so a little bit less than expected there as well. So let me just read the summary statement from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The consumer price index for uh, for May declined 0.1% in May on a seasonally adjusted basis after falling 0.8% in April. Over the last 12 months, the all items index increased 0.1% before seasonal adjustment. Declines in indexes for motor vehicles or for motor vehicle insurance energy and apparel more than offset increases in food and shelter indexes to result in the monthly decrease in the seasonally adjusted all items index. The gasoline index declined 3.5% in May, leading to a 1.8% decline in the energy index. The food index, in contrast, increased 0.7% in May as the index for food at home rose 1%. So while gasoline declined, food rose. The index for all items Less food and energy fell 0.1% in May, its third consecutive monthly decline. This is the first time this index has ever declined in three consecutive months. That's that's big. Along with motor vehicle insurance and apparel, the indexes for airline fares and used car and trucks declined in May. The indexes for shelter, recreation, medical care, household furnishings, and operations, and new vehicles all increased. The All Items Index increased 0.1% for the 12 months ending May. The index for all items less food and energy increased 1.2% over the last 12 months. This compares to a 2.4% increase a few months ago, the period ending in February. The Energy Index fell 18.9% over the last year. The Food Index increased 4% over the last year, with the index for food at home rising 4.8%. 
So in terms of the biggest increases and decreases, the biggest increase month over month was meats, poultry, eggs, and fish, up 3.7%. And the biggest factor there was uncooked beef roasts, uh, up 19.5%. So that might have had something to do with the supply chain blockage in uh, beef processing plants uh, when the COVID-19 hit those, those plants, and a lot of them had to shut down. The biggest decrease month over month was motor vehicle insurance, down 8.9%. The biggest increase year over year was meats, poultry, fish, and eggs at 10%. And again, uncooked beef roasts were up 26.9%. The biggest decrease year over year was fuel oil, down 37.5%. The biggest increase month over month regionally was in the Midwest at 0.3%. The biggest decrease month over month was the South, minus 0.2%. The biggest increase year-over-year year regionally was the West, up 0.8%. The biggest decrease year-over-year year was the Midwest and the South, down 0.4%. And one note, oil prices almost doubled in May, but gasoline prices still fell 3.5%. Now uh, a look at the stock market. The stock market fell 282 points today, largely driven by comments from Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell. Initially, the market turned higher on the statement that the Fed said they were going to do continue to keep interest rates low all the way through 2022 and will do whatever they can to help the economy. But then as he as he's talked more, some of his comments were a little bit more gloomy than expected and the market turned down, ended down 282 points on the day. So here are some notes from the Fed's comments today. No interest rate hikes through 2022. They will keep buying bonds at the current pace. The path of the economy is still highly uncertain. Many millions of people will likely need further government support in the coming months. Millions of people will not return to work for some time. Structural unemployment could remain elevated unless workers retrain for new jobs. Many people worried that, are, are worried that the stock market has gotten ahead of itself and is too optimistic. We will do whatever we can and as long as it takes, is what Powell said. The Fed may need to do more, but Congress will need to carry most of the load. Consumption won't fully recover until the virus threat has receded. The Fed's lending programs may have limited reach. The Fed's asset purchases have slowed from $125 billion a day in March to just $8.5 billion a day now. The unemployment rate forecast is for 9.3% in quarter 4 2020, 6.5% in late 2021, and 5.5% in late 2022. The GDP forecast is for a 6.5% decline in 2020, 5.3% increase in 2021, 3.8% increase in 2022. GDP won't return until to quarter four nineteen levels until sometime in 2022. The economy has shown it can handle very low unemployment without stoking inflation. Um, and the Fed expects core inflation to remain below 2% on a year-over-year -year basis through 2022. So because the economy can handle very low unemployment without inflation, that's one major reason why they're saying that they are pretty confident they can keep interest rates where they are right now, which is pretty much at zero for at least the next couple of years. However, to say that is a little bit, uh, you know, it's they, they really can't say that they're going to keep them low for till 2022, because what happens if all of a sudden the economy starts roaring back and we get, you know, inflation again, um, you know, I don't know how they can necessarily say they're going to keep them low for 2022, but that's their projection for now. Now, some notes on a very interesting webinar today, which was the impact of COVID-19 on the business ecosystem. 
So I'm just going to go through some of the slides here. And uh, so the first one was uh, closure rates by industry. This was as of April 1, uh, broken apart by different uh, sectors of the economy. I believe this is for the nation. The lowest closure rate as of April 1 was banking and finance at 19%, and the highest was personal services at 86%. The expected close, uh, the percent of of these uh, industries that expect to be closed in December, the lowest was, looks like banking and finance again at 25%, and the highest, uh, 52% for restaurants, bars, and catering. How many weeks will COVID last? The lowest expectation was 11.8 weeks from April 1. Uh, so about uh, three months, uh, and that was in personal services, which is interesting. Consider they have the highest closure rate at that time. And the highest expectation for how many weeks COVID will last was, looks like 17.5 weeks, and that was arts and entertainment. And current employment uh, as of April 1 versus January employment the uh, highest was 81% in banking and finance, and the lowest, 20, 24% in restaurant, bars, and catering. Okay, and uh, the presenter's notes on some things. First of all, he says, everything depends on the duration of the pandemic risk. If this ends quickly and doesn't happen again, then the shock is real but doesn't change urban life massively. Still, there will be short-term short -term shifts. In rich cities, this means that prices drop more, more than vacancies rise. Commercial space may be more vulnerable than residential. Cities will still reallocate from old to young, and some significant work will move either to homes or lower-density locales. But, but will this make our roads less or more crowded? International travel will surely be depressed for quite some time. If the, if the shock doesn't end quickly and if pandemics reappear, then quite significant changes will appear in both the urban location and the demand for transportation. This will also shatter the urban service industry and create enormous economic dislocations, which at least suggests that we should be willing to spend enormous sums to make sure that this doesn't happen. Okay, um, one chart shows that uh, business page views fell dramatically uh, right before the, uh, the first stay-at-home order, which was in California. Uh, they've increased over the last couple of months, but not at a very rapid pace. Uh, so, you know, this is different for different states or different cities, but um, overall, the increase in business page views, which is know people looking for buying things or, or, or going to restaurants and such uh, has not really increased all that much takeout and delivery uh, looks like this is a uh, order volume um, has not increased that much at all uh, well on average for some cities it's increased enormously but <laughs> the uh, labels of the cities on the chart are so small I can't read them but uh, overall um, takeout and delivery orders have not really increased all that much since uh, 
looks like about maybe 25% since middle of March. That's a nice increase, I guess, but really not not that not not that much. And calls to businesses now. This is a little different. Um, fell again. Um, this is compared. This is as opposed to you know people going on websites. But this is actual calls to businesses fell dramatically uh, as the lockdowns started commencing, and then bounced up a, a lot all the way back to where they were before the lockdowns, and then rose gradually. But then, over the last two or three weeks, calls to businesses have have risen sharply. So that's good news. Uh, says many restaurants have closed, obviously. Uh, as of early May, roughly 45% were open in New York City. That's more than I thought. And roughly 51% open in the top 20 Yelp reservation cities. That's more than I thought, too. So that's good news. Key takeaways. Uh, much of the drop in demand predates stay-at-home orders. Consistent with drops in mobility shown by uh, a certain report that he's referencing. Some adjustments in type of demand, such as deliveries. Considerable uncertainty among customers. More calls to businesses. Many restaurants have... So, so that's interesting. So... This note is saying that even though cost of businesses have been rising, which means that there's more demand, it, there's considerable uncertainty, be, and that is because people are calling businesses. Maybe they're calling businesses to see, you know, if they're open or what their protocols are, which is what I've done a few times to see, you know, are you open? How long are you open? Do I have to make an appointment? Do I have to wear a mask? And all these kinds of things. So uh, not only does it show more demand, but it also shows a lot of uncertainty and and still some fear in terms of you know what kinds of things people have to do to go to these businesses and get the products and services that they want many restaurants have closed altogether meaning i guess for good in new york city only 45 percent of restaurants were open as of early may roughly 51 percent looking at top 20 cities on yelp what she said before even within a city different areas are hit very differently Business districts in New York was hit very hard. Restaurants that already delivered hit less hard. As cities reopen, some return in demand. Uh, we will see some return in demand, but levels still very low, even in cities allowing dine-in. E.g., San Diego has the highest return of dining, but less than half of December levels of reservations. Okay. Uh, many small businesses lack liquidity. Uh, the percent of small businesses that have one month or less of cash on hand is about 25%. The percent of small businesses that have one to two months of cash on hand is about 50%, a little over 50%. Uh, about 10% of small businesses have three to six months of cash on hand. Looks like about 5% of businesses have six, to one, six months to one year of cash on hand. And about 5% have more than one year of cash on hand. So about 50, 25, about 75, about three quarters of all small businesses have let two months or less of cash on hand. That is very frightening. And that suggests that more help from Congress is needed or the Federal Reserve, you know, lending programs and such. 
And this chart just basically showed that the more cash on hand people had, the more likely it was that they were they will still be open on December 31st. And beliefs about the duration of COVID disruptions, about 50% of businesses believe COVID disruptions will end by July 1. About seven, about 90% believe they will end by October 1. And about 95% believe they will end by January 1. So there's still 5% uh, of businesses that believe that COVID disruptions will still be continuing um, after the new year. And whether or not a business was still open depending on, depended on the hypo, hypothetical crisis duration. So 70% of businesses felt that if uh, the crisis only lasted one month, I believe this is from April, that uh, they would still be open. But if it lasted six months, then only 40% would still be open by December 31st. So it was a pretty uh, strong correlation there. Uh, let's see here. Findings on working from home. <clears throat> Pre-COVID, there was considerable variation in remote work patterns. Nearly 40% of respondents worked in companies where the vast majority of people did not work remotely. Nearly another 30% worked in companies where the vast majority of people did work remotely. Many people who could work from home chose not to. COVID, COVID has uh, led to a dramatic spike in remote work. Adjustments to work from home can be predicted by industry-level measures of work from home capacity um, and considerable heterogeneity in reported productivity effects. Uh, so just one stat I wanted to show from this chart was how has the productivity of remote workers fared? Above average, 25%. Average, 40%. Below average, 23%. 12% didn't know. So um, most people said that it was about average, so not really any change one way or the other. And the above average and below average are almost exactly the same, so it seems like it's a pretty pretty even balance in terms of you know, how uh, productivity has fared with people working at home. But most people say not not really any change. Um, so recap and themes. The current landscape. Almost half of these businesses were closed. Closures were more common in smaller firms and retail firms. Many small businesses are financially fragile with little cash on hand. Business expectations. Many do not anticipate being open in December. The firms with less cash are less optimistic about surviving. Few think that they can survive if the crisis lasts four or six months. Navigating the crisis. Starting to reopen currently at reduced demand levels. Firms expect reduced demand for months to come, and many employees plan to continue to work from home. So it's a kind of a, you know, very, very muted recovery kind of outlook. And we have, uh, so I asked a couple questions. The first question I asked was, if even a quarter of all people who used to work downtown shift to working from home permanently, that will be a massive hit to urban businesses. What do you think? And one of the panelists said, yes, your math is absolutely right. But the offices are unlikely to remain empty, at least in currently high-cost cities. So my guess is that landlords cut prices significantly and get the offices filled once more. That will be a huge dislocation, but more on price, but more on price than on quantity. 
the ancillary urban businesses will then recover. In cities where businesses, business vacancies spike, then the spillovers will be larger. A second question I asked was, can you comment on your outlook for city living if riots and looting continue and or police forces are defunded or dismantled? Obviously, I'm asking that because my city, Minneapolis, is looking at dismantling our police force, which scares the living you-know-what out of me. I foresee a big exodus from homeowners and businesses if these things continue. That was my question. And the panelists' uh, answer was, urban life depends on safety of the streets. The classic paper on these is, and he shared me a paper, uh, he says, if crime increases following cuts in police funding, then these research, then this research suggests that cities will suffer. And one chart showed that we lot, we gained from September 2010 up until uh, February of 2020, we gained 22.1 million jobs, and in the last two months, we've lost them all. Oh, in March and April, we lost them all. So basically a decade worth of job gains lost in two months. Just absolutely astounding. And then we gained back 2.5 million in May. And a few other notes. Uh, personal aid such as, new, uh, such as unemployment benefit extensions will be easier to pass versus another massive PPP type program. Uh, demand projections are very low. If that comes true, there will be real lasting damage. That's demand projections throughout the whole economy or at least in, in the business, you know, small business uh, sector. Which cities will be more friendly to new business formation is, is a question. Uh, so um, even if uh, businesses want to, want to start, um, which a lot of, you might see a lot of people wanting to start new businesses, especially if they can't find another job to replace their old one. Uh, so if somebody wants to start a business and there's a lot of regulation and heavy red tape, you know, then uh, those cities are not going to recover as quickly as cities where regulation is, is not quite as bad. Small businesses are very important in terms of jobs, but also supply chains. Things are moving too fast for traditional data sources to be all that useful for tracking economic activity uh, during this crisis. Unemployment data is very messy and complex right now. New data sources such as uh, credit card swipe rates and Yelp reservations uh, are more real time but have less history and predictability. And most hiring is recalling people, uh, so they, so there's no need to post that, that job. So job postings aren't a great indicator of labor market health either. So those are the notes from that, uh, from that webinar. Pretty interesting. Okay, um, no real news on the coronavirus today, so on to tip number 43 on how to stay sane during unemployment. Tip number 43 falls under the fifth commandment of be good to others. Tip number 43 is help or do something nice for somebody. You know, uh, when you're out in, you know, on the town or doing something, if you see somebody who needs a little help, you know, uh, filling a bag, carrying a bag, carrying something, uh, you know, or if a neighbor needs help fixing something or, or lifting something or somebody needs help getting food or something, you know, whatever you can do to help people, especially especially now. I mean, like I said in the last couple episodes, uh, people really need a lot of help right now. So whatever you can do to help somebody or do something nice, whether it's somebody you know or, or a stranger, uh, you know, go ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. Go ahead and do that. I will share a quick story with you. Um, 
A gentleman was walking down the street one day last year while I was raking leaves. And he came up to me, and he was rather incoherent. Obviously, he was drunk. But he came up to me, and he said, uh, you know, all I could really hear was he's got no money. All I could really understand was that he had no money, and he was from Chicago. I felt bad for the guy, you know. So I dropped my rake. I went inside my house, and I put t I put some some change in a bag and some crackers in another bag and brought him brought him the change the bag of crackers and an apple and I went outside and while he was standing there uh while he was waiting for me uh, while I was inside getting all the stuff ready for him um a a very a very nice SUV pulled up and he was talking to the guy in the SUV when I brought all these things back out to him so uh, I gave him the stuff, and he said, thank you, thank you, and he got into the SUV and, and drove away. So on the one hand, I did something nice for this guy because he needed some help. On the other hand, was it a scam? Because, you know, it's, off, it's very well known that people who panhandle and, and, and bag and things like that have handlers behind the scene that drive them around to certain places and, you know, often are in pretty nice vehicles. So that left me kind of wondering. Um, anyway, I went back to raking my leaves, feeling good about what I had done. Whether it was a scam or not, whatever. It didn't cost me much. A couple bucks, an apple, and a bag of crackers, you know? But it made me feel good, and hopefully it helped him too. So, you know, sometimes you help people, and you never know what, what really happened. But, uh, Anytime you help somebody, it's always going to make you feel better and get your mind off of being unemployed and, you know, losing your income and all that kind of stuff. Whatever you can do to help others will make you feel better and will offset any negative emotions and thoughts and worries that you have in your life. That's tip number 43 for today. That's all for today. Uh, please uh, subscribe or follow me if you like what you hear. Please spread the word. You can look, uh, listen to previous episodes on other tips on how to stay sane during unemployment. Please tune in tomorrow while I will be discussing the all-important initial jobless claims data and the producer price index, which is prices for uh, producer goods, and the quarterly services survey. I'm not really sure what that's all about, but I'll have to take a look at that tomorrow and see if we can glean any information and insights on that too. This is Ed Cashmark, the Everyday Economist. Stay safe and stay sane. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.